It's great at this time of the year as a, kind of a kickoff and a fresh new beginning. And we take a look at this great question about men and women, and particularly in leadership. And obviously, uh, there's a lot of great jokes about the war between the sexes. There was a new survey that came out, and Jay Leno commented on it. A recent survey said, the first thing that men notice about a woman is their eyes. When they told this to women, they said the first thing they notice about men is they're a bunch of liars. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Oscar Wilde said, women always worry about the things men forget. Men always worry about the things women remember. Isn't that true? They have a long memory. Like Tim Allen said, men who don't understand women fall into two groups, bachelors and husbands. Other than that, everybody understands. But how different are we and how much the same are we? And we profess to know each other. I, Henry Cloud is uh, teaching this morning at our young marriage and sharing together, you know, uh, bestseller author, a member of our church here. I remember a time that the pastor in a small church was asked to address the young marrieds and to ask him uh, to address the question of romance physically as a married couple, as Christians. And he said, sure, I'll do that. And he's going out the door. His wife said, where are you going? She said, he said, oh, to talk to the young marrieds. And she said, what are you going to talk about? And he's a little embarrassed. He said, about a sailing, sailing. I want to talk about sailing. And so he went and did his thing, and then the next Sunday morning, the wife showed up to church, and one of the young marriage came up and said, I am so glad your husband taught us so much. And she said, why did you ask him to talk about that? He's, every time he does it, he gets sick. And one time he fell overboard. Why did you ask him that? But these are jokes for a pastor who's leaving the pulpit, and we've got six more of them to come to you. So I'll, I'll be sharing those, so hold on. Just keep your emails, not reading anymore. All right, so uh, <laughs> as we saw this beautiful thing called discipleship is all about relationship. And we need to be both a Timothy. If you are not sitting at the feet or at the table with someone who knows more than you, they may be younger than you or they may be older than you, you're crazy. And you need to be a Paul. You need to be the things you have learned, passing it on to the next generation. Because if we don't take the torch and pass it on to the next generation, you remember this, God will hold us accountable because we were so self-absorbed and so selfish about how hard our life is, we didn't dare to disciple the next generation. God takes that serious. And so as Paul's writing to his beloved Timothy, he's telling him in this very pagan city of Ephesus, third largest city in the Roman Empire, about, and Timothy's probably about 28 late 20s, Paul's probably about my age, 58, and he's writing to him saying, Timothy, and he's acting as a bishop. There's more than one congregation in Ephesus. It was a huge city, but Timothy's in charge, and he's giving this love letter to his son spiritually and reminding him. And what is this thing he's going to see today in the second chapter? That Paul says, I permit no woman to be in leadership. Well, why is that? And yet he seems to have women in leadership. Well, this very difficult passage, part of knowing the Word, and if you're discipling somebody, is not just taking a text and tearing it out, but being able to take the whole counsel of God and say, in some of these tougher areas, and we Christians disagree on this, uh, many of you in here will have your opinions, and I'll have the right ones, and as we're sharing these, we'll be able to come and say, well, what is it saying to us? So let's look at, first of all, a biblical word. Take this text, and exegete means to bring out. What does the language say? A theological word. Theology means how do you piece it together. And then a pastoral word. How do we respond in this time? The most important thing is to realize no matter what we do, 
that our, this is our final court of appeals, not what the world says. And if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength and your mind, and you love your neighbor like you love yourself, you won't mess up no matter where you land on this. You got your Bible, turn with me over to 1 Timothy and to the uh, second chapter. It's on page 965 in your uh, pew, excuse me, 962 in your pew Bible as Paul is writing. Now again, to remind us when he is writing this, it's probably, we don't know for sure what happened with the end of Paul's life other than Nero beheads him. But we know in the end of the book of Acts, he's under prison, kind of a house arrest, as Luke records, and people are coming and going. He seems to have been released and recaptured. We know by the end, of, when he writes 2 Timothy, we'll see, he's about ready to be executed. But as he's writing, it's probably about the year 61, and where's he at? Well, we have a map here of his second missionary journey. He had three of them, and it's roughly about the year 51 AD, and he leaves Antioch, the mother church of the Gentiles, heads on over to Derby and Lystra, we saw. That's where he picks up Timothy, goes up to Troas, has this vision of the Greek boy come to Europe, takes the gospel to Philippi, then over to Thessalonica, drops on down to Berea, heads to the intelligentsia capital of the Greek and Roman world, Athens, goes to Corinth, that's like planning a church in Vegas, heads over to Ephesus, where Timothy is at, and then he will head back down. Now what you'll notice about Ephesus, where that's at, Paul is, we don't know for sure, I think he might be up in Troas or somewhere else, but he's writing this letter to him. And if you don't understand the context of where Timothy is at, it'll make no sense to you. Ephesus believed that they were founded by the Greek mythological superwomen, the Amazons. They believed these warrior women, goddesses, if you will, founded this. In fact, because of the strong influence of a female teaching there, of this cult, if you will, Artemis, the temple in, of Artemis. If you flew to Ephesus today, you would see the ruins of the only remaining ruins of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. This thing had 127 six-foot-wide marble columns that went up 65 feet. This was a monster thing. And Artemis, she was a goddess of fertility as well as. A, a goddess of war, and she was worshipped. So you have this radical feminism. At the same time, one of the more large, we would call them Orthodox today, there they just called them observant Jews, very, very conservative in the heart of Ephesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy with these two different groups pushing against him. And so he says this, second chapter, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, this was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Well, why would Paul say, I'm not lying? 
because Timothy is getting such heat from the conservative Jewish leadership that Paul is going to the Gentiles? Where in the Tanakh, where in the Old Testament does it say that? And Paul says, the risen Christ told me to take the good news to the Gentiles. Now, as he's, notice the first thing. This whole thing is about worship, the second chapter. First of all, our worship should be for all those in leadership. These are pagan Roman emperors and governors. Paul says you should be praying for them? He said, absolutely. Timothy, all those in authoritana, in authority over you, should be prayed for. And you know, as we're going into the political season, 50 more days to go, and don't you just love attack ads? Aren't those heartwarming? Well, one thing I noticed this time of the years we're going through, you should be praying for President Obama whether you are a Republican or a Democrat. You and I need to be praying for the mayor of this city, whether Republican or Democrat. We should be praying for our governor, for all those in leadership. That's what Paul is saying. They are a tool of the Lord. Now, they might be fools or they might be wise, but we are to be praying for them, for God to use them. I told you last week, I don't know if you've done this or not, it's fun. If I walk into a room, and I do these kind of experiments because I get bored easy, but if you walk into a room... And you say, you know, both of the candidates are miserable. They'll go, yeah, but one of them is more of a jerk than the other. But people will agree. Do this. Go in and say, I think both of them are fine men that love this country. And they're enraged at you. (laughs) Try it. If you say either one would be a great president, people will be so angry, they will run you out. I know. Trust me on this one. (laughs) Because we live in this culture that if I tear your house down, somehow that's more intelligent. It's so psychotic. And Paul is saying, wake up. Pray for those in leadership. Particularly you and I that do something, the vast majority of people, when we get to the marriage feast of the Lamb, will have never have done. Voted. Do you know how many few Christians in world history have ever got to elect their leadership? I mean, you're a little tiny piece of the Bible. You prayed that maybe the empress or the emperor or the king or the queen was good. But they never got a say in it. The divine right of kings. But you and I have this world where, and that we should be praying more than anybody. And not against four people that God would be using them. And then he winds it up and he's saying there's one mediator. And now he's still in the thing of worship. And some of the most controversial sentences ever penned by the Apostle Paul. Verse 8. In fact, uh, let's read 8 through 15 together. It takes a different part of your brain to speak than it does to listen. And this is great stuff. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach her to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. What? Look what Paul is saying. When you pray, you intercede on behalf of of all those over you. So Timothy, I am designed that all men lift holy hands of the Lord without arguing or fighting. And Timothy's in this context in Ephesus, this extreme militant feminism, if you will, this goddess cult, and this extreme 
chauvinism of the Jewish. It was not permitted under the teaching of most of the Talmud for men to address women in public. Rabbi Eleazar said at this century, it is better that a Torah be burned than it be touched by the hands of a woman. That women are to be silent, to be not be spoken to. This is what enrages them about Jesus. He not only talks them, he touches them. He heals them. He has wealthy women, Luke says, underwrite his ministry. Unheard of for a rabbi. And Paul does the same thing. He has ones who are heads of church. He has ones who are a deaconess, Phoebe. He has those that send his epistles, who are involved in his ministry. The head of house churches. So what is he saying here? Well, he is writing, and he's obviously very serious about this. He says, let... Women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing. You know, and I have to, I've told you before, every summer I have to tell our attenders, you know, ladies, and I say this with a, a tear in my eye, you got to put on more clothes. You just got to really got to do that. Rather than showing up because our bulletins aren't big enough to cover some of the things that I wear. But why is he saying this? Because, ladies, your classiness is not on the out. Now, Paul's not saying, ugh up before you come to church. Just come totally discamped. He's not saying that. I think he would be into shaving legs, but that's another discussion that we'll get off on. What he is saying is, the beauty is your heart. One of the most striking women I know, and I have to remind myself, I have to step back, because she is very common looking. But her heart is so loving. I mean, she's, she's so attractive in who she is. And some of the ugliest females I have ever met are perfect. But they are ugly people inside. And it's the same with guys, too. And what he is saying is, it's not about how fancy you get on the outside. There were very wealthy women. Now, Paul taught in Ephesus, remember, for three years. Every afternoon, he lectured in what would have been the university. He knows the crowd of which he's talking about. And he says, Timothy, you tell them. But then he says this. Let a woman learn in silence with full hypotasima submission. I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She's to keep silent. Now that word, by the way, permit, is a very gracious word. It's not exusio like I forbid, don't do this. He's saying, Timothy, now I don't allow a woman to be in leadership. She is to learn in silence. By the way, the word learner, Matthias, in the Latin, disciplius, we get the word disciple, He's, get, he's elevating the level saying that he's a disciple. But he's saying, I think he's talking to the context in Ephesus of this radical feminism that was against the physical world, by the way, because this nascent Gnosticism where this stuff is evil, but the spirituals, the good stuff is starting to take place. And Paul's saying, no, you error, you drive off too far off the left or too far off the right. That she is to learn with science. And then he goes to these transcultural arguments. And I have brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church of America I love, and they love ladies, and they would say, no woman is to be in leadership. Because Adam was created first, and then Eve. And Eve sinned first, and then Adam. But notice when you read in Genesis 1, if you were reading actively, let them have dominion. Let them rule over. In Genesis 1, they both have mutual dominion. And then in Genesis 2 is this thing of the kind of footnotes that God took Eve from Adam's side. And he was finally complete Isha and Ish, even changes his name from Adama. 
Well, so where did a woman come up being under a male? Turn with me over to Genesis 3. It's on page 3. And this third chapter and starting in verse 8. We know the story of the serpent comes and tempts Eve and says, Eve, can you not eat of any of the fruit? She says, oh, we can eat everything but not of that tree. And the serpent lies and says, God is lying to you. He knows the moment you take of that, he's keeping something from you. The moment you take of that fruit, you're going to be like a god. And so she takes it and she eats. At least Eve has a discussion with the serpent. Adam shows up and goes, what you doing, Eve? She goes, I'm eating forbidden fruit. And he goes, I'll take a bite. And so, and then this, these painful words next in this great story. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to them and said, Where are you? Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me and I ate. Pause, by the way, they're both right. They were both deceived, and that doesn't take them off the hook. So God says, The Lord God to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, but you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust in the dust you shall return. This very painful chapter. First, there was the order, God's order of creation. Adam and Eve were equal. Everything was beautiful. Sin came into the world, and there's the order of the fall, and there's a fourfold penalty. One, to the woman, you will have pain in childbirth. To the man, from the sweat of your face, entropy is big time now. You will be walking uphill until you die. You were taken from the dust, the dust you shall return. And then there's a fourth one, to the woman who was equal, you shall be under your husband. Now for me, it's no fair to take one of the curses and embrace it, a woman being under a man, and not increase pain in childbirth, help that out, and not increase thorns and increase death. It's a cause. It is the general order that you and I live under. And that's why I believe that a lot of the time, there's something here to offend everybody, men tend to be better at leaders than women. But having said that, the order of the fall is not what we live under. We live under the order of redemption. What is God doing? 
Last passage, turn with me over to Galatians and to the third chapter, page 947 in your pew Bible. Now this is Paul's very first letter. He wrote this probably 30 years before he wrote 1 Timothy. He's writing to the church in Galatia. And this is a baptismal vow. Oh, it was so much fun last Sunday night of uh, getting off point here. Our beach baptisms, baptizing people and singing. What a great crowd. And this year, everybody we baptized came back. It was really great. So it was uh, another workshop. But in verse 27, As many of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, at this time, the great prayer of the rabbis, the school of Hillel certainly said, we don't know who was the original author of it, said, you would come in and you would say, thank you God that I was born Jew, not Gentile, free, not slave, male, not female. And this orthodox Jew of Jews says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, free or slave, male or female. We are all one in Christ. Well, how can he write this and then turn to Timothy and say, but I permit no woman to be in leadership? Because of the expediency of the missional need of where Timothy is at. Did Paul want women in leadership? N no way in Ephesus. There's no way. And he uses transcultural arguments. But if you push that too far, Adam was created first. But you know what's created before Adam? Baboons. So baboons aren't a higher creature. And Eve was the first to be deceived, but Adam followed right along. And I think he's telling Timothy to respond to what is being taught in Ephesus. Did Paul want women in leadership? No. Not at this place at this time. Does Paul ever have women in leadership? Yes, he does. You know, and that's where the order of redemption is, this reversal of the prayer of Hillel, but also submitting, submitting in the family, submitting in the church, submitting to our authorities. This isn't being a format. I told you before that one woman uh, told me submitting is just ducking so God can hit your husband. It's just learning how to say there's someone bigger at play in here. And so he is saying that, you have this order to this. And so he calls, who does Paul have in leadership? I just got a couple of them. Lydia, Tabitha, Priscilla, Trophina, Trophosa, Paris. Julia, he calls apostle, sent one because she's carrying his letters. Syntyche, Phoebe, he calls a deaconess. Many of these women are overseeing churches, co-workers. That means co-pastors with Paul. Is he wishy-washy? No. Paul knows how to thread the needle. He says to the Galatians, if you circumcise yourself, Christ did not die for you. He says, if you try to keep part of the law, good luck, because grace is outside of you now. But then he turns around and says, I circumcised Timothy because he was being hassled. Well, is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No. For Timothy, it was for missional expediency. It wasn't. But if you make it a salvational thing, which the Galatians were, Paul said, absolutely not. He says, bringing the directions of the first Jerusalem council, don't eat meat that is strangled. In other words, isn't kosher. They haven't got the blood out yet. And yet he tells the Corinthians, well, whatever they put in your plate, 
You want a pork chop? Knock yourself out. Because anything that is taken with gratitude to the Lord is to be received. Is he speaking both ways? No. He's all things to all people for the sake of Christ. He knows how not to misapply what God has said. And for you and I, as we disciple people, one of the most important things is why we have these Bethel classes these alpha classes and then small group coming together is the more we learn the word and know how to rightly apply it to our lives, the more we don't get hung up in the crazy diversions that God tries to keep us out of. There's so many ways and there are so many things that the way that the Lord uses remarkable men and remarkable women of Scripture. When you take a look, look back over at this other last passage, back to uh, Timothy again. Because I've got to point out one thing in 1 Timothy 2.15. Adam was formed first, 13, and Eve. Adam was deceived, not the woman. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. What? Was he using salvation with giving birth to a child? Well, the word is... Dia tech gynas. Ganas? Gynecology? It means having children. And what he is saying is that a woman will be saved through childbirth, but there's a definite article with it. The childbirthing doesn't make sense. And so it could be that he's saying to women, oh my goodness, the holiness of the vow you have to be a mother. And by the way, there were some that were trying to just be men and dress up like men and not have children because that was earthly and they were super spiritual. He's saying, no, no. In fact, you're, I think he's saying being saved through the birth of the child. That the Son of God himself was born from a woman's womb. That this physical world is not the answer, but is good because God created it. And so this ability to thread the spiritual as well as to move what God has called us to. And ladies, this scripture, if you believe that women should not be in leadership... There's many of my brothers and sisters around the world that believe that. I honor that. If you come to that on this position, I think you're not interpreting it right. Uh, but anyway, if you do, you make sure that you treat women so classy and you use their giftedness that they will love you for that. And if you believe that this allows women to be a leadership, not the secular, androgynous, if you will, there's no difference between male and female in this world kind of thing. Well, it doesn't really matter if you're male or female. No, maleness is beautiful. And femininity is beautiful. And God has made us different in that way. But I think there are women who are called and equipped and gifted to be in leadership. Not because they're women, but because they're called and gifted and prepared to be in leadership. And we should celebrate and use that. I'll tell you, our female robes on staff and the pastoral staff, they bring insights a lot of times we don't. It's called logic. It's really an interesting thing there. Like they say, behind every successful man is a shocked mother-in-law. Is that not true? And this role relationship. Oh, I can tell you one of the rabbis here in town was talking to him. He just did a wedding. And before he was asking him about the counseling. And she said, I don't need counseling. He is the perfect husband. She, he said, why is, she going to, why is he going to be the perfect husband? She said, because his mother is dead. We're fine. We're doing well. So, other than the mother-in-law coming in. Yeah, these will keep sharing for six more weeks. But as God looks at this and calling into this incredible place of what he's telling to Timothy. Timothy, what is the purpose? What is the purpose? 
Worshiping God in your heart, in your life. Worship while you work. Don't whistle while you work. Worship while you work. And saying, Lord, thank you for this. How can I do this? And how the Lord wants to use you. Think of the great women God used in leadership in Scripture. You know, who doesn't get a lot of good press? Eve. And you look at the story of her life. What about Sarah? My goodness, Abraham's wife? Of course, we've heard of Deborah, a warrior when no other man would belly up to the bar. Esther? What about this Jewish girl by the name of Mary, the mother of our Savior? And all these other women that Paul mentions. Ladies, don't let anybody ever tell you that God can't use you. Don't you go running around saying you deserve it or men otherwise. It's by God's grace. But you go for what the Lord has called you to do. Just reading this last week, as you go to remember how we do this. You know, and might I say, I have whatever God wants. You and I have learned and have walked with Him long enough to do that. If God says the only person in leadership should be somebody over six feet with dark skin and blue eyes and can curl their tongue while they sing the Bohemian Rhapsody, who cares? If that's what we need, then that's what we need. But I think God has called all of us to this place. Helen Roosevelt was, went to medical school in London before women really ever went because she wanted to be a missionary. And she wanted to go to Africa. And I learned about this story with our partners from the Congo. And when she got there, there she was the only doctor for 200 square miles. Female, first of all. And when she got there trying to take care of them, but she was taking care of them outside and in these little clearings in the forest. And she said, won't somebody come help build a hospital, just a little room? And she wrote back to London and said, would somebody send some money and some man must be able to build a hospital? And her parents wrote back, no, we couldn't find any guy that would do this. But we found the instructions on how you make bricks. And so they sent her a thing on, here's how you make a brick. She's going, make a brick? And so she started, all right, there's got to be some guy out there that can help build with this. And as she started making bricks, and in the process, she would be working next to the new converts there, her hands would bleed from using the different ingredients for making these bricks. And then she would have to sterilize herself before surgery, which was so painful. And then no guy ever showed, so she started making these bricks until finally they had this one room for operations. And when she was the last day working on this, one of the tribal leaders came by and said, Madam, when you come into the room with your gown on and your mask and you have such healing power, it scares us. But we were grateful for it. But, and he took her hands, when you bleed with us, you are one of us. Ladies, I don't care what you know or how much. If you're not willing to bleed with people, it's to no avail. And gentlemen, if you and I aren't willing to walk the hard road of sharing this messy thing called life and discipleship, then God won't use us in the way that he always wired us for. But when we do that, when God comes, whether you're going to be a Martha or a Mary, ladies, the Lord is crazy about using you. And guys, whether God's going to have you as a Paul or a Timothy to say, Lord, use me, he's just waiting. He's longing for this. You don't have to talk him into it. Then to step out in faith and say, Lord, use me.
For there is one mediator and one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk to him, shall we pray? Almighty God, I praise you for your love for us, for your love for this broken world, even as it shakes its fist in your face and goes running the other way. And Lord, for us at Bel Air, I pray you would raise up godly, Christ-led, spirit-filled women and men to worship you with clean hands and a pure heart, Lord, so that we can love some life along this way. And we stand in glory and look back, we'll say, what an incredible privilege to do the service of the King. So we thank you, Lord. Help us as we go this next week to be able to keep our eyes attuned to what you're doing, our ear to your lips, and our hands reaching out to others. And God, as we come to you with our tithes and our offerings, thank you that you've reminded us that you have loaned us to us to see whether we're stewards or not. May we be found worthy of praise, well done, good, and served by how we share with others. Come now, bless the gift and the giver alike. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.